You're listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes, a production of the Ephesus School Network. Blessed art thou, O Lord, teach me thy statutes. The company of the angels was amazed. Hi, this is Father Aaron Warwick with Jason Everett, and you are listening to the Teach Me Thy Statutes podcast, episode number 62. Before we begin today's episode, I want to apologize to our listeners for our extended absence. We intended to take a two-week holiday break, but due to my needing to quarantine for COVID-19, we ended up taking a full month off unexpectedly. In any case, we plan to be back now to our weekly podcast, and we look forward to our discussions and continued learning in 2021. As Father said, we're glad to be back and wish you all a happy new year. At the end of last year, we did what has now become an annual tradition, which is to ask our listeners to submit any questions they might have about previous episodes or questions in general that they would like to hear us discuss for future episodes. We did receive some questions, and we will plan to get to those uh, in future episodes, hopefully beginning next week. In the meantime, during our absence... A significant event happened in the life of our American nation and the protests that took place at the U.S. Capitol on Theophany, January 6, 2021. And as our listeners are aware, we always try to speak on this podcast about practical applications in our days and in our times from the biblical lessons we discuss. And this past Sunday at our parish, St. Mary in Wichita, Kansas, Father Aaron preached about this event and gave us some thoughts about it and how we should respond. And you can hear that full sermon as well as every Sunday sermon preached at our parish on our parish website, stmarywichita.org. Today I want to discuss with Father Aaron his sermon, have him share some of his thoughts related to that with our listeners, and hopefully probe a little bit deeper into his words from this past Sunday. So with that, I'll begin with my first question. Father, one of the things you mentioned towards the beginning of your sermon was getting to the very heart of the New Testament, to the story of Jesus and his message as the true Messiah. Specifically, you talked about how Jesus refused violence, how he could have called upon legions of angels to keep him from being crucified, but instead uh, he refused to become violent and led a very uh, different type of rebellion. And you said as well that if people did not understand this, they could not claim to understand the essence of the New Testament and so many of its stories. Would you begin today by elaborating on that and explaining to us some of the stories uh, to which you refer? Yeah, I'd be happy to do that. One of the things I do appreciate about this podcast is the opportunity to expound on some of these types of things. Uh, You know, in sermons, you you just have more limited time and, and the focus is a little bit different. So to understand what I'm getting at, we have to understand the context of Jesus' time. And specifically, we have to understand that during Jesus' life, Jerusalem was under the occupation of the Roman Empire. And throughout the time before, during, and after Jesus' life, there were many rebellions that were led by Jewish figures uh, to physically attack the Roman army in an effort to violently take back Jerusalem from the Romans. We have to understand that context to understand the New Testament. Now again, before, during, and after Jesus' time, the popular thought among the Jews was that the prophesied Messiah would rise up and lead a rebellion against the Roman army, defeating them, and taking back the city. Essentially, it was a hope that there would be a second Maccabee revolution. Only this time, the revolution would permanently succeed. 
But along comes Jesus, who, of course, we as Christians confess to be the one and only true Messiah. And Jesus has a different path besides leading a violent revolution. And what was Jesus' path? Jesus' path was to peacefully reconcile with the enemy. Rather than take up a sword, Jesus invites the Romans to sit at the same table of fellowship with himself and with the other Jews. He seeks to bring them peacefully under the biblical God. He seeks to make them one community, the Jews and the Gentiles, the Jews and the Romans together. So instead of this continuous fighting with one another, because your enemies, you instead become allies and friends and learn to live at peace together. And that's why Jesus is constantly attacking the Pharisees and the religious establishment of his time, because they're always excluding the Romans. He's saying, quit fighting with them. Bring them into the community under the one and only true God, the biblical God. Don't fight them, convert them. Well, Father, that certainly makes sense, and it seems to be indisputable, especially given the fact that Jesus went to his own death unwilling to fight or to be physically violent. And as you said, he was always trying to include the outsiders, the Gentiles, who were, of course, the Romans surrounding him, as you mentioned. But I'm wondering if there are some specific examples of stories that sort of highlight this point. Yeah, absolutely. There, there are many, actually, but I want to focus on three that I think really hit home on this point. And the first one would be the story of Peter cutting off the ear of the high priest's servant who came to arrest Jesus. And notice the two things Jesus does. First of all, he tells Peter to put away his sword for, quote, those who live by the sword die by the sword. In other words, if you turn to violence to solve your problems, eventually that violence is going to come back to get you. Someone needs to step in and stop that cycle of violence. And then number two, the thing Jesus does here in this story is to heal the ear of the servant. And that's significant, the ear, because the ear is what hears the word of the gospel. And keep in mind at this time that the scriptures are read aloud by one person and heard by the others. You know, this is long before the printing press. People didn't have their own Bible to read at home. It had to be heard when someone else read it. So in this act, this act of Jesus healing the ear, there are two things to highlight. Number one, Jesus' admonition to put down the sword. And then number two, the fact that the ear must be healed because the way to tame the Roman occupation is not through the sword, not violently, but through them hearing the gospel message and learning to live at peace between Jew and Gentile. That's fascinating. Father, I think it's pretty clear from the story, even without much context and in translation, that Jesus is teaching Peter not to fight. Uh, but I really appreciate you highlighting the healing of the ear and that second part, that it's not just enough to stop being violent, uh, to be violent per se, but we stop being violent and uh, we preach the message of God's reconciliation mm -hmm. between all peoples. Now, you had mentioned uh, three stories, so well, what are the other two? Well, one of them is the story of Barabbas, and this story of Barabbas makes very little sense if you just read it in English and divorce it from the historical context I mentioned earlier about the Jews and their expectation of a messianic figure to lead a violent revolt to reclaim Jerusalem. And so what's going on in that story? Well, first of all, I would point out the figure Barabbas and the fact that names in the Bible almost always mean something functionally to the story. And that's the case here. The name Barabbas means son of the father. And well, we all know who the New Testament claims to be the son of the father, right? It's Jesus. But here is this guy named Barabbas, named son of the father. And Barabbas was imprisoned for what? For leading a rebellion. 
So the crowd of Jews right before Jesus' crucifixion is presented with a choice. Do you want this person who appears to be your Messiah, this person who's named Son of the Father, Barabbas, who has already tried to lead a violent revolt to throw out the Roman army? Or do you want Jesus, this guy who sits at table with the outcasts, who invites the Romans to be part of his community, who has people among his followers who collect the taxes from us Jews, you know, as, as they're saying there in the crowd, for the Romans uh, as part of his gang of disciples. And, and, and of course, the one who was released, the one chosen by the crowd was the false Messiah, Barabbas. But we Christians know that in the end it was Jesus and his way, the way of making peace and having table fellowship with your enemies that ultimately prevailed and is therefore the Christian standard. A beautiful story uh, when it's understood that way. Thank you, Father. And what's the final story that you wanted to share? I believe we actually discussed this in a previous episode, but it's the famous story of the road to Emmaus. And in a nutshell, Emmaus was a significant battleground in the Maccabee Revolution. And in that story told only by Luke, the story of the road to Emmaus, the disciples uh, were depressed at the apparent defeat of Jesus after he's been crucified, and they're deciding to travel back to Emmaus back to that whole idea of violently rebelling against the Romans because Jesus appeared to them at that time to have been unsuccessful. But then Jesus appears to those disciples along the way. He opens their eyes to see the scriptural message and to hear the scriptural message and turns them back to his path where they do what? Where they go out and make every effort to convert the nations and to bring the Romans into the covenant community, as Paul says in, in the book of Romans, to graft them into the covenant community. So these are just three examples, but I believe they're poignant examples, and I hope that our listeners not only see this broader picture of what Jesus is doing, but now also have a better understanding, of course, of those specific stories. Mm, absolutely. Now, Father, this discussion has covered the beginning of your sermon, uh, but in the middle of your sermon, you discussed uh, at length about the question, who is to blame? for the rioting at the U.S. Capitol. And, and you said it's very easy to blame President Trump or white nationalists or, or even, as some have done, Antifa. But you said you believe the problem is much deeper and, and gets to really what amounts to a spiritual problem in our country. Would you expound on that? Yes, yeah, so what I proposed is that the problem that we have in the U.S. is a much deeper problem, and ultimately the problem is that we're both explicitly and implicitly taught as Americans from the time we're very young, a message quite opposite that of Jesus' message. Namely, we're taught that the way to freedom, the path to freedom, is through violence. And I gave many examples to show that this is the case. Right. Would you talk about some of those now? Sure. For starters, our nation, like most nations, was founded through war, through violence. And that is at the very heart of what our country stands for, the fact that we fought for freedom. And we have this saying, you see it even on bumper stickers, freedom isn't free. And by that, it means you have to fight. You have to be violent to obtain or sometimes to maintain freedom. And I called that out as a lie, according to Scripture, that the only true freedom comes through living out Jesus' message of reconciling with your enemy and living at peace with them. And I recall that you gave many more uh, examples in context. Yes, I, I did what I never had imagined before that I would do in a sermon. I referenced 
the former president, Dwight Eisenhower, Martin Luther King Jr., and George Carlin, all to help make my point. Uh, again, something I didn't set out or plan to do, you know, to combine those three figures in one sermon, but it just came together that way. And what I said that is that in more recent times, our country has further entrenched itself in this lie that we can have true freedom only through violence, through war. And I mentioned Eisenhower, who warned of what he famously called the military-industrial complex and the fact that it's now profitable for private companies to be involved in war, to be violent. And so we have to be careful to hear the propaganda that will be used to continue to make us believe that we need war to maintain our freedom. And then I referred to the beautiful sermon of Martin Luther King Jr., who, of course, our country commemorated a couple of days ago, uh, where he, the sermon uh, called Beyond Vietnam and how he called the U.S. government at the time the greatest purveyor of violence in the world. And, of course, that was a specific reference at, at his time to the Vietnam War, but, frankly, uh, we've only gotten worse since that time. And in that sermon, King marveled at how people couldn't understand why he opposed uh, the violence and specifically the war in Vietnam. It really astounded him because the gospel was so clear to him. And I want to share this soul-piercing, this extended quote from that sermon because it's so applicable to what I talked about was Jesus' message at the beginning of this episode. I shared it also in this sermon. But Martin Luther King Jr. said, To me, the relationship of this ministry of Jesus Christ to the making of peace is so obvious that I sometimes marvel at those who ask me why I am speaking against the war. Could it be that they do not know that the good news was meant for all men, for communist and capitalist, for their children and ours, for black and for white, for revolutionary and conservative? Have they forgotten that my ministry is in obedience to the one who loved his enemies so fully that he died for them? What then can I say to the Viet Cong or to Castro or to Mao as a faithful minister of this one Jesus Christ? Can I threaten them with death or must I not share with them my life? Indeed. Beautiful words, Father. And, and as you said, they highlight so clearly and succinctly what you talked about at the beginning of our episode today. Yeah, and then finally... Uh, I referenced George Carlin, and I noted, obviously, that, that he could be very foul at times, but I can't just steal quotes from people, so I have to give him credit. And George Carlin has a, a great quote related to Americans and their obsession with war, and the quote that I shared was this. Have you ever noticed that the only metaphor we have in our public discourse for solving problems is to declare war? We have the war on crime, the war on cancer, the war on drugs. And then I noted that we can now add to that list the ubiquitous war on terror. And the common denominator between all these so-called wars is that they all promise to give us freedom. Freedom from criminals, freedom from illness or addiction, freedom from our enemies. And what I said is that all these things are only a false illusion of freedom. The true freedom only comes through obedience to the gospel message, which again involves us nonviolently reconciling with our enemies. Father, in addition to that, you concluded your sermon by noting that our country is now starting a new war, what you called, uh, and, and certainly others have called it this, or at least uh, noticed the similarities, but what you called a war of domestic terror. And you concluded with a practical point, something that we can attempt to do as Christians to combat this way of thinking, this way of thinking that only through violence will we attain freedom. So to conclude today, would you please share that admonition with us? 
Well, I think I really concluded with two pieces of practical advice, so I'll outline both those here. Uh, first, I said that we should look inward instead of looking to blame President Trump or the far right or Antifa or anyone else that you might look to blame, that we should look within ourselves and examine our own lives and our own thoughts and determine how much we've actually internalized this societal message, this false gospel that violence can bring us true freedom. We really need to take assessment of ourselves first and foremost because this societal message is just so strong that many of us have internalized it, at least to some degree, without realization. But then I said in terms of actually taking action, uh, so the second piece of practical advice, perhaps the only thing that we can do that will most definitively create an impact is to share our lives with people that we believe to be our enemies, invite them into our homes, share with them our table of fellowship, and listen, listen to them, hear them, and care for them is what I encouraged us all to do. Because through conversation and fellowship and authentic relation building, we can offer to them the only true gospel. We can expose the false gospel of our government and our society that war and violence will bring true freedom. And we can show them through our own life and our own witness how true freedom can only come through the peaceful message of Christ, the one and only true Messiah. Father, thank you for spending some more time on this subject, for elaborating on your sermon from this past Sunday and for the practical advice. And again, for those interested in listening to the full sermon Father Aaron gave on January 17th, 2021, you can access it through our church website at stmarywichita.org. Thank you for listening to Teach Me Thy Statutes. We hope you tune in next week for a new episode. Alleluia, alleluia, glory to the God. Alleluia, alleluia. Alleluia, glory to thee, O God, O our God and our Holy